Hey, y'all. Hi, guys. I'm Genevieve, Positive Peach. I'm Alex, Joyful Rare. And this is... And this is Positively, Positively Walking, Walking with, with Mayo. Mayo. Alex, tell me about your diagnostic journey. Yeah, so my entrance into the world was, you know, a little bit interesting. Um, my mom had help syndrome, which is something that in Elchad baby pregnancies, sometimes you can um, take a step back and the mom can develop help syndrome. It is not in all pregnancies though. Um, it's just something that they have seen um, that can occur. And so according to statistics, my mom was full term, second pregnancy, all good. These are not things that would put you at risk for helps normally and things like that. And for my limited knowledge of help syndrome, it's basically uh, the curious delivery and it is not a fun experience, and um, it is pretty serious. Uh, I've known some Elchad moms to have gone into even a coma because of it, and, you know, they question whether or not they, that mom would be able to make it, and thankfully, she, you know, the mom that I know who experienced this did make it, but it's something that is wild and crazy, and so my mom experienced help syndrome, and, you know, the cure was delivery. She was at term and ready to go. So they had an emergency C-section and I was, you know, a fairly healthy baby. Nothing really seemed wrong. Now we got to care for mom and help her recover from the helps. And at 36 hours old, this uh, seemingly healthy baby, okay, me, um, ended up having cardiac respiratory arrest and basically it just my heart stopped not breathing i was blue you know all the things <laughs> and um a nurse had to rapidly take me out of my mom's hospital room and um do what they could to try and save me and i was not waking up to um, eat is how they kind of like asked for help to with me and why I wasn't acting normal and, and that's what happened so it was something where after I was taken out of the room you know my parents were like we do not know what's going on like what just happened and so I think a lot of my diagnosis journey reflects more my parents and the unknowns and the faith that they really had to have through that process especially in the not knowing what's going on. So I stayed in the NICU and they ran a lot of different tests. Um, they revived me, by the way. Um, just kidding. <laughs> we were not uh, aware. I'm still here. But um, they, you know, put me in the NICU, all these tubes, vents, you know, all the things to like keep me going. And um, they just could not figure out what was going on. And just a, a note in... Uh, 2002, in the state I was born, they they didn't really look very closely at certain genetic things for 
something called newborn screening, where a newborn gets tests for a lot of different um, diseases and stuff. And it takes about a week or two to like get those test results back. But even if that testing was available, it wouldn't have come back in time before I had a crisis. And so this is what we call a crisis. And basically my body was not getting what it needed. So it just kind of quit functioning. And while I was staying in the NICU and they were going through different testings, my parents were pulled into a room that they very clearly remember and had lots of conversations with doctors and medical professionals on potential diagnosis and things like that. And a potential diagnosis they had for me was one of exclusion where they can't really tell you that's what it is, but they can rule out everything else. And it was one where I would like stop breathing when I fell asleep. That was kind of their initial diagnosis. And they said that this would be very complicated and hard. And, you know, they wouldn't diagnose me with that unless it was absolutely necessary. And so, uh, you know, my parents leave that conversation, not sure what's going on. And, you know, it's very scary time. And one day they came to visit me in the NICU. And thankfully, my mom um, also really recovered from the HELP syndrome um, through a very unfun process and medicine that she had to take. Um, but thankfully, she was able to recover from that. And they told my parents to wait outside the NICU because they were running some tests. And something had come back on a metabolic panel. And that led them to do some more specific testing. And this kind of NICU journey was this kind of like mystery that these these doctors were trying to solve. And with 2002 technology, it wasn't a quick process. Um, but they were able to send specific tests to a out-of-state lab that was very specific. And at my one-week-old birthday, I got a confirmed DNA diagnosis. And that was something where my parents were pulled into a room to discuss my confirmed diagnosis, uh, but the doctor was pulling paper off the printer to explain what my diagnosis was to my parents because the doctor himself had never seen this. He had no idea what this was. He was learning at the same time my parents were. And so that's something that was very different because, you know, in a room before they had all these professionals ready, you know, and, and now it's like, we don't, we don't really know what this is. It's very unknown. And so now that we have an answer, you know, we have something to blame, but it still was leading into a unknown journey for sure. And something that's specific with LCHAD, my diagnosis is, it is in my genetic code. And so by definition, my parents both have the recessive gene. It's basically the broken gene. And you have to have two broken genes to have the actual disorder. And so for my sister, one parent gave a good gene and one parent gave a broken gene. So my sister is a carrier. My parents are carriers, but none of them have the actual disorder. I got a broken gene from both parents which means now I have both recessive and I have LCHAP. 
because of this. So even though it was something that you can find in my genetic code and in my DNA, it does make it easier to confirm and have some concrete evidence. But if you're not looking in the right place, it can be very difficult to see and find. So it is a little complex, but at the, the end of the day, I I know what I'm I'm blaming for for my uh, issues. And um, you know, just navigating, you know, every day is a blessing and taking it one step at a time. And that's kind of been my my parents' motto from the beginning and mine as well now. And that is how I got diagnosed with LCHAD specifically. Wow. You explained that in such like well-defined terms, but like you even like explain the genetics in a way that I could understand. But by the time you finish saying that, I'm like, oh, I never even thought to ask that. I'm like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense because like it's just crazy how genetics is just like a just like a grab bag of what are we going to get now sometimes I joke that I I won the genetic lottery you know and one new thing and another thing happens in my life it's like well just just go show one lottery everybody thank you please congratulate just kidding but um I think it is um something people really want to understand and genuinely want to know like how does someone get LCHAD you know they just doesn't just kind of magically happen. And so I try and find ways to explain in a way that I know the the genetic name for my gene mutation, you know, and in my world, it's very important to know these things. And I have what we call the, the two common gene mutations of LCHAD. But most people, that that does not really matter to anybody else, you know, but in the medical world, it's very specific on, on the side of medicine. And so that I try and find ways to help people understand in appropriate ways, but not bore them at the same time with this big medical terminology that is irrelevant for them. (laughs) Yeah, that makes a a lot of sense because um when i first heard your your story it's at first i was like there's this whole other side of mitochondrial disease that i had never even like learned about because i didn't know about lchad and faods until about two years ago so i'm constantly learning while still having the condition as with doctors that like since mitochondrial Mitochondrial disease, I believe, was founded in the late 1980s. So, so doctors are still learning about what it is. It's not regularly taught in medical school. It's not one of, it's not like the first day they're like, oh, and there's this thing called mitochondrial disease. You have to like major in like genetics and then they tell you what it is. It's like the, the, it's like the best kept secret. Yes, and I've even talked to medical professionals and um, students in residency as I am hospitalized in a teaching hospital in my college town. And, you know, 
people are brought by to my room to see somebody with a rare disease. And, you know, I'm very open about talking to them about it and helping them learn. You never know if my story could help them uh, understand somebody else's journey. And one, one resident said, oh yeah, you know, I, I've heard of, you know, genetic metabolic disorders, whatever. Um, yeah, newborn screening catches these disorders. And that's how they know about them. I was like, well, just so you know, I was diagnosed before newborn screening was looking for my disorder. And they just kind of like had a mind blown moment. And it was like, yeah, so yeah, you know, thankfully we have newborn screening now. It, it catches a lot of these um, disorders and, and diseases before they have a crisis event, which will hopefully allow for treatment sooner and they can have better quality of life. And there are a population of people that didn't have the benefit of newborn screening or are just so severe that something happened before that. And that is my journey, you know, and it's something that, you know, just a different side of their, to their knowledge to add to the bank, you know? Wow. I just like, because whenever you have a condition, you kind of tend to get wrapped up in like your own stuff that it's hard to, or not to say hard. Um, you, you don't always think that there are other kinds of things that did that you have. So I'm like, so taken aback. I'm like, Oh, there's a whole nother mess of crap other than the, the mess of crap that I per se deal with. So Whenever I learn about new conditions, I'm always like, wow, look how strong they are. It's not just strong because they have mitochondrial disease. You have like almost like an, a new kind, even though it's not new to you or new to anyone else, really. But it's new to me to realize that FAOD is like a whole branch. It's like the tree of mitochondrial disease. There's everything else. And then there's a baby tree going off the regular tree and it's like oh that tree has its own branches it doesn't really make sense but it's hey i get it everybody has their own brand of whatever issue they got you know and and you know sometimes i say i'm i've been diagnosed with a very severe form of l chad but i just say it's you know it's my my brand of l chad you know it, it's it's its own, you know, has pops of color sometimes and an attitude and this is part of it, you know, and, and I think everybody's individual, um, everybody's got something and it doesn't make it, you know, more or less, you know, when someone is dealing with something that's more known or, or not, you know, as known, but mitochondrial disease in general and history you know, that's fairly new, you know, and um, the, it's, we're all warriors and we're all um, going through it together and navigating all the new challenges. And because especially these disorders are, are new for the most part in medical history, it allows us to come together because at the same time, we have these wonderful specialists who are willing to work with us and navigate the puzzle that we all are. But sometimes 
they they don't know what the future holds because we don't know what it's like for some so many people to live a full lifetime with these disorders. And as people get older and older, you know, we don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. And um, hopefully we all, you know, can live long and healthy lives, but you just never know what's to come. And I'm very thankful that the doctors are willing to work with us and educate us on what they do know and say, hey, there's just some things we don't know. And that's okay. And we're going to work through it together. And sometimes that means we're, we're writing what ends up in the textbooks, you know, and, and I'm hearing things now that I experienced a decade ago that was so new and some, you know, people did not know or had even heard of someone going through particular challenges with an FAOD. And now it's kind of the common knowledge of, hey, be on the lookout for this in adolescence, you know? And I was like, you know, that would have been a little bit good to know, but I'm happy I can help bring awareness to this particular issue and have people be prepared, you know? Yes. You're very good at ex explaining this to, to adults and children alike. You know, it might come with some practice. I'm not sure. Maybe I have to tell it a time or two <laughs> um, on a regular basis. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I want to hear about your diagnostic journey because I know it is a little bit different. Yes. So basically, I've been disabled. I've had some sort of thing holding me back since I was born. I was born with crossed eyes, legs, and arms. So immediately I was put into physical therapy. So there so so I've been having something wrong from the jump. That's our first well, that's our first sim similarity. Um but so I've been in physical therapy my entire life. In some way, shape, or form, I've been doing physical exercise in a gym or with a trainer in some capacity, whether it is with a trained professional, whether it's with whether it's been in hospital setting, it's been it's been all kinds. Um, but then and so initially they diagnosed me with cerebral palsy because I fit all of the symptom markers for having cerebral palsy. And we were satisfied with that diagnosis. So we just, and the only treatment for, for cerebral palsy is like physical therapy and learning how to um, navigate life with, um, a damaged brain and being and walking differently. Um, but then so so a character trait or a trait of cerebral palsy is basically uh, brain function up to a certain point and then you don't get higher. It just kind of plateaus at a certain point. And I was getting quote unquote smarter. I don't intend for any of this to put down anyone 
I'm just saying that I was um, not plateauing. I was, I was increasing. And so, um, and my ability to walk was going up, then it was plateauing, then it was going down. And, and like, it, it looked like a heart monitor if you had traced um, my ability to walk over the years. And that's common with Mito now that I see it in, in retrospect. Um, so once we weren't, once I was no longer matching the cerebral palsy trajectory, we kind of went back to the drawing board. At this time, I was in early high school. So um, I had I had taken a break from um, physical therapy because I was plateauing, but I had plateaued for about two or three years. Then we saw that that my that my walking pattern was um um was becoming dysfunctional again. So we went back to physical therapy. Um, but we were like, hmm, that's not consistent with cerebral palsy. You kind of hit hit a point, and then you're walking the same way the rest of your life. But I was all over the place. So we went back to the drawing board, and. Um, we could see that there was something wrong with the muscles. We wanted to see at what extent. And we were like, what if there's nerve damage here? Because I was also I, I also had um, a delayed reaction time. Whenever I did fall, I wasn't putting my hands out in front of me. I was taking it right in the face. And this was not because I had weak arms, which we had had, had initially thought there was a delayed reaction time of me noticing I was falling and not having the reaction time to put my hands out to stop me getting uh, scraped knees and taking it in the face. Um, so we were like, okay, there may be a little bit of nerve damage. So I love this, this story because everyone's like, what? Whenever I, I say this. Um, the way that they test that you, the extent of your nerve damage is to put 50 needles in both sides of your body on both your left and your right side. And they run an electrical current through each of those needles. It kind of sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> um, and they flipped the switch on the machine. And I was kind of like tingly. I was apparently supposed to be supposed to be bawling my eyes out because it was supposed to be so painful. They went over to the wall and checked if the machine was plugged into the wall. <laughs> um, and it was. And they were like, you don't feel that? And I'm like, it, it tickles. Why don't you turn it up a bit? They're like, it's all the way up. And I'm like, oh, and I'm laying on this bed trying to figure out what the heck this means while my mom is trying to talk to me, try, trying to dis, distract me. So I'm, I don't, I'm all confused. I'm like, you know what? This is just another thing that I'll put down as one of the mysteries that Jennifer has that doesn't make sense until we realize later on through the diagnosis of Mito that that's kind of commonplace for my nerve damage. Um, so the doctor who was doing this test gathered all these doctors, like basically for like a meeting of like 
what do we do? Like, this doesn't make sense. Is this girl superhuman or something? Like, she can't feel things. Like, what the heck is going on? And um, one of the doctors that was pulled into that room was um, my specialist, who was a uh, geneticist at the time. Um, and she's like, let me let me get a blood sample from her and see what I come up with. At this point, I was 15 years old. Um, and this test takes about six months. And I had completely forgotten about this blood test. I'm like, I've had blood taken a bajillion times. Where what are you going to find that the the, the others have not? Because because Mida was so rare, I had never even thought that that could be a possibility. We were thinking like maybe it's MS, maybe it's others. Some we just never even thought to put Mido in the bank of things that, that that could be wrong. So, um, at six months, they called me back and we're like, blood test. We're like, oh, that blood test that I took six months ago. Okay, let's see what this doctor has to has to say. So we came in and she's like, well, you know that thing that you learned about? Because at because at this point I was in ninth grade and I had just learned what mitochondria are in biology class like two weeks ago. So I'm like, yeah, I know what, mit what mitochondria are. They're the powerhouse of the cells. I felt so freaking smart. I was like telling the geneticist who was about to tell me the worst news ever how smart I was. I was like, yeah, I'm winning this. She's like, well, you know what happens whenever that doesn't work? I'm like, doesn't work? There's, that's a possibility? And she started, she's like, well, you have this condition called mitochondrial disease. And then she starts explaining. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't have cerebral palsy anymore. I have this thing that's possibly going to kill me. I'm like, what are you talking about? So she basically handed me off to the specialist, which I was thankful for because I love my my specialist she's the greatest person ever dr goldstein at uh children's hospital of philadelphia is fantastic um and she started asking me like all these things like do you have trouble walking do you fall a lot do you have a delayed reaction time and, and i'm like yeah 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 She's like, do you have fatigue? Do you uh, wear out easily? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, guess what? You have this. I'm like, well, this is the worst game of prices right ever. Because I guessed the price and got a really crappy answer. <laughs> but um, yeah, now I am 25 and still, still like, it's like it's like a weird game of what's gonna happen today. Like, how do I feel? Um, am I still am, am I still able to urinate? Because sometimes because the nerve connections to my bladder aren't the best. So sometimes I'm like, I really need to pee, but I can't. So like it's like a who's who of what's gonna go wrong today. So that's my story. Wow. And then, you know. I can 
for the past 20 years, I've been able to to put a, a name on what I'm blaming for, you know, and um, to be in like ninth grade and finally be like, okay, this is, this is it. You know, how did you feel like going your life up until then, not knowing or blaming something else and, and then being like having to kind of reorient and being like, oh, and, and th- thank you for that great question. Um, there were kind of two sides to what I, I was dealing with. Nothing was really happening in like my body. Like it was still, um, I still had trouble walking and like, but now we can, we can kind of map the trajectory of things that might happen. But um, I wish it had made things easier on a social aspect, but I was still diseased in a way. So it's not like I, I, I can be like, hey, I took this magic pill and now I am better. I was still sick, but um, being able to finally um, be have a name, I feel like I had like a dirty little secret. I'm like, guess what? Now I'm going to die indefinitely. It's not just I'm going to die because I'm going to fall down the subway grate. Now it's I'm going to die because I fall down the subway grate and get an infection because I'm medically fragile. Like, just felt like I, so going to a normal high school, I felt like for like the, the first couple of weeks after, I'm like, I want to tell everyone here that I have this secret, but it wouldn't change anything. And once I told people, they were like, okay. Like it wasn't quite sinking in because whenever you're 15 years old, the the world is your oyster. You can do whatever the heck you want. So it took about a year for that to sink in. I'm like, oh, like my life is no longer my own. Now might was my life. And that kind of sounds depressing. I've made peace with it. I am Mido is my friend as opposed to something I'm I'm trying to figure out and battle and like take down. Because I have realized the best way to live with the disease that's trying to kill you is to be like, okay, you want to be moody today and have like as you say an attitude. Okay, we'll we'll deal with the attitude, but tomorrow I hope you give me something. A little, like, a little, like a little something that I can hold on to for like hope. I remember. So, oh, sorry. You go. The, well, just to say, high school was interesting. Everyone has a terrible high school story. Mine was even that much more of um, a crapshoot. I I can relate with that um, <laughs> for sure. Um, high school's not not my best years medically either. Um, I remember the first time I had heard someone say that they were friends with their disease, and I was like, "What? How how can you be friends with your disease? You know?" And um, now, for the most part, me and Elsha are friends. But um, you know, I, I love that you have that that outlook. You know, to to make friends make peace with it because you know we can't change that our genetics are this way you know right. and that our, our mitochondria are this way but we can choose 
you know, our attitude about it, <laughs> you know, and, and how we manage it. Because whenever, um, like, people say, I'm in the hospital again. I hate Mito. I'm like, I don't really hate it. It's just the natural course it's taking. I'm sure Mito doesn't hate me. I kind of personified Mito as like a person and it doesn't hate me. It's just trying to trying to live its best life while I'm trying to live my best life. And its life may take my life at some point, but that's okay. That's what it's going to do. I can't exactly like, like I'm not doing something that's making it win some more. At least I... I hope I'm doing all that I can. Yeah. And, you know, we just make compromises and, and work with what we can with our, our diseases to hopefully continue living our best qualities of life, you know, and sometimes we got to do what we got to do. We got to take the meds. We got to go to the hospital and it's part of it. Yes. Thanks for listening. You can check us out on all social media platforms. And we hope you continue walking with us.